this is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains and globalization and the effects these have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent times. Today on Interlinks, uh, we're going to have a look at several specific sectors to see how they have been reacting to the succession of external shocks over recent years and how they're looking to the future and facing up to the challenges so that they can adapt and thrive into the future. So the sectors we're going to be looking at broadly are manufacturing, uh, construction, and distribution and logistics services. So to discuss these topics, I'm delighted to be joined by two of my colleagues from the Supply Chain Special Interest Group at the Society for the Advancement of Consulting, uh, Lisa Anderson, President of uh, LMA Consulting Group from the Los Angeles metro area. Welcome, Lisa. Great, glad to be here. Very welcome. And uh, Karen Wilson-Starks, President and CEO of Trans Leadership Incorporated from Colorado Springs, also in the US. Welcome, Karen. Great to be here, Patrick. So, Lisa, uh, I'll go to you uh, first. What would what are you seeing in terms of the top two or three challenges currently being experienced in the manufacturing sector in 2022 in the wake, say, of COVID unfolding consequences of this war in Ukraine? and the prospect of more inflation and higher interest rates ahead. So what, what, are, you, what are you seeing as the major challenges? Well, uh, one is definitely inflation. Uh, the, there's been a spike in the cost of the materials and components, and depends on uh, which manufacturing uh, industry. But basically, they've had significant amount of inflation happening, uh, which certainly has driven costs up and made them concerned. Uh, a second key problem is labor. They still have issues with labor. They, they cannot find enough people to produce all the product that they uh, should in order to uh, meet their upcoming demand. So they're having to prioritize which customers uh, get the product or they are uh, extending lead times or they're, you know, like they're looking at their customer profitability and, and choosing, uh, they're, they're doing all sorts of things. But in essence, uh, labor is another critical um, shortage, uh, just trying to find, and it's typically speaking, I mean, across the board, but definitely when it comes to the people who are needed to run the lines, uh, high-skilled high skilled resources uh, to run the lines, is, they're really in short supply. And then I would say the third issue that's coming up more recently is, is that because they're getting concerned about deflationary pressures as well, now they're starting to panic uh, about having too much inventory um, or if they have too much inventory because, well, they, they placed orders. They were, you know, manufacturing went from ordering just in time, although they weren't really doing the just in time the way that I would recommend it, but they were looking, literally trying to do just in time. And then they went to just in case. And now they're just worried, I guess you could say, because <laughs> uh, they don't know what to do <laughs> with inventory. And they just have, um, uh, they're just concerned about having too much, um, too much for uh, the cash flow needs because they have to, um, you know, well, it, it's obvious that they need cash to continue to grow and and um, navigate these uh, volatile times. Yes, yeah, so they've got too much, too much working capital tied up in inventory. Is that their concern? Well, that's their concern. I mean, they don't always have too much. Uh, I mean, I guess too much in quotes, right? Because what's too much? But, you know, from my perspective, sometimes they have more than they should. And other times I think they're just panicking, but they basically are, they're concerned that they have too much and, you know, they could be right. It depends of course on 
you know, what uh, what cash flow yeah. they have planned and how many loans they have in place and those kinds of things. Yeah, I've seen the, the unfortunate situation where they have too much of what they don't need and not enough of what they do need, which is... Well, that they definitely have, because, I mean, if you can think about it, they, uh, I mean, without without the right people on board, they don't necessarily order the right um, the right supplies. You don't necessarily have a SIA program in place. You don't necessarily know what to order in the first place. So there's like a lot of reasons why they could have the wrong inventory, but they definitely, largely speaking, have not as not the ideal amount of inventory of what they need, where they need it. Yeah. And is this um, driving uh, a lot of pressure on warehousing in the, in, in, in your area? Um, and pressure yeah, well, we definitely, the, the warehouses are full. So we have, we have, uh, you know, we're maxed out in terms of warehouse capacity and we, um, you know, that, that's, that's an issue because there's very little, uh, room for folks to, to expand their storage, uh, capacity. And in some cases they need to, and, you know, it depends on, you know, who has what storage space, but it's definitely causing problems in terms of warehouse storage or lack thereof, really. Okay. Okay. So this is both, uh, in-house and with logistics service providers all around. Well, so. I was thinking about outside warehousing. So like logistics providers or outside of, um, their facility in one way or another. Uh, with that said, within the facility, um, yes, actually several of my clients are having challenges fitting within their facilities as well. And it became a whole, uh, it became actually like a, a, a big conflict because we were trying to figure out, um, we, we needed to purchase, or um, I should say, um, we needed to produce certain product in order to meet the sales forecast. And then we couldn't do that because of the uh, lack of warehouse space. So it was a it was a constant battle. Yeah. And what's the pipeline like for bringing on uh, more warehouse space? Are developers saying, oh, there's an opportunity here. Let's let's build warehouses. Well, it's certainly in California, uh, inland Southern California, it's not that easy. It takes a lot of time to, to bring on any sort of building. So that part, no, not necessarily. They've just been, they've been moving uh, further east, I guess you could say, from the ports. Um, and they're, you know, and I really see people moving out of California as well, because we just have so many business unfriendly policies. And so, but nevertheless here, it's just that we're full. Um, but in other places, like I have a client that had a, was completely full in their um, Atlanta area uh, facility and they found additional space, but you know, it's always this way, it's more expensive. And then they were saying, well, I don't think that that would be really be worth it. I'm not sure that um, having the extra space is worth the loss in margins. So then they were negotiating and they did actually work out something eventually so that they could get the space, but it took months um, where we were producing to the space, not producing to what our customers needed. We were just, you know, yeah. Well, we're producing to the space and then prioritizing based on customers. And what's, and what's going on with the labor shortage? Have the people disappeared, thrown in the towel, gone to different industries or not enough young people coming through? What's what's going on there? Well, like probably all of the above, but generally speaking, there's been a significant uh, that, you know, the great resignation has been proven true in manufacturing circles. So really, a lot of people are retiring. I mean, generally speaking, it's probably an older workforce regardless. I don't have the stats, but generally speaking, that's that's true. People are retiring early. They're also moving to other careers. Um, and just uh, generally speaking, there's a lot of people leaving. 
However, uh, in addition to that, it's just challenging because like the, like in this area in California, there's um, the minimum wage is pretty high. So you don't have to do manufacturing. You could just work anywhere with a lot less commitment. And, uh, you know, you could make the same amount of money or whatever. It depends on, you know, the, the, the manufacturer, but there's, there's, um, fewer people wanting to, uh, to fill the roles, but then again, there's just fewer people out there. So it's, it's just, I don't know, it, it appears to be a, a variety of factors between retirements, people changing careers, less people coming into the profession. And, you know, it's just, the, the wages continue to go up. And so, yeah, which is strong um, feeding into the inflation again. It's another right, right. of the inflation. Yeah, yeah exactly. And there, you know, there's certain skills you need for these types of manufacturers because many of most of my manufacturing clients are throughout the U S and global actually. And so I'm not, even though I'm, you know, I'm familiar with the challenges here and I'm familiar with um, what's happening where they are, but I would say, cause you know, between Kansas city, they actually, um, outside of Kansas City, they actually decided to, um, you know, just to outsource um, certain products instead of increase their uh, production because they couldn't do it. They just can't find enough people, um, even if they were to move them in. And then in North Carolina, another client, they literally just have been prioritizing customers because they can't find the people. So yeah, it seems you know, to me, it has something to do yeah. with what you pay as well. But they both pay; they don't pay badly either one of them. It's just compared to what, I guess. It seems to be a generalized problem. We're seeing it here as well, and I notice lots of projects with client companies that need to be done, and they're not getting done because they don't have the people to lead the projects. And so it's right. not a, it's not a lack of funds or a lack of opportunity or a lack of intent. You just you just don't have the people to do it. Right. Um, That's true. So, How about uh, you, Patrick? Or go ahead. Yeah, yeah I was going to go to Karen, uh, and and then maybe you, you can ask me about uh, okay. distribution. So, um, Karen, um, in terms of areas of concern uh, in the industry that you uh, tend to uh, provide a lot of your leadership um, uh, input to the construction sector, what kind of uh, challenges are you seeing after these shocks that we've been experiencing over recent times? Yes, uh, Patrick, let me talk about the personnel shortage, because that's really what's affecting construction significantly. Most of my clients still have work to do. They're still getting orders for new builds or for remodels. And particularly, this is on the commercial side. My clients are commercial uh, providers in construction. However, the personnel shortages are getting worse and they are continuing. So I want to talk a little bit about what's the impact from a leadership point of view of the personnel shortages. And then maybe I'll talk also a little, just make a brief comment about warehousing too, since that came up, uh, Lisa, when you were talking, and I'll, I'll mention something about that. So on the personnel end, when there aren't enough people at the various levels in an organization, several things get hit. One is just the bandwidth to do the long-term strategic thinking and planning in the organization. So the people who should be doing the strategic thinking at the executive level very often are caught up in some firefighting and the day-to-day -day operations because you need all hands on deck to get everything done. So when this is happening, it's a problem because as things may be changing in the landscape, when you think about you know, supply chain issues and so on, you really need the time 
to attend to how do you address those changes? How do you walk through that landscape and plan for the future? But if your head is down too far to the ground, you're seeing things from a tunnel vision perspective or a myopic perspective and aren't able to do that long range planning. So I think that's one of the things that certainly affects the, the executive level, level um, as far as leadership. I also think that when organizations are understaffed, at the operational level, especially, it's very difficult to pivot and to do something different. And so even though they can see that there's a change and it may require a new or different response, they don't have time to get off the hamster wheel in order to craft the new response and figure out how to move forward because there's not enough support for the day-to-day operations. So they end up hanging by their fingernails and, and kind of doing what they know to do from the past, which may not be what's best or what fits for now. And then that leads to another piece of the leadership equation, which is delegation. Usually it's great to delegate in a way that you delegate and you stay in touch so that you can follow up and know what's going on. And instead of that, when you got personnel crunches, two things happen. You're either going to abdicate instead of delegate so you're not in touch because you don't have time to be in touch and follow up and figure out what's going on. Or some of the upper levels will try to retain too much of the decision-making authority and create bottlenecks in the organization. So they get stuck, they get stymied and they can't move forward. And that becomes a problem. So those are some of the big things I'm seeing on the leadership end. I would also say that as far as day-to-day operations, including you know, the supply chain issues, you need people who've got relationships with those key partners. And if personnel are coming and going and you're losing institutional knowledge because of people leaving, the new people coming in may not have the relationships. They may not have been introduced properly to the people to even be able to do the future planning or figure out what's the best way to navigate and to move forward. So I think that 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 is also an issue. You know, Lisa also mentioned this whole thing about warehousing. Now, my clients tend to use their own facilities or to lease something real close by for warehousing purposes. And as they got concerned about the lag times and ordering materials and whether things would be there at the right time, they were considering things like, well, should we lease this space? And I think what they were concerned about in construction is if we lease the space and incur all this extra cost, What if down the road, we don't have the orders and now we've got all of this extra expense because it's still a very volatile economy. And though it hasn't quite decreased and gone away yet, people aren't sure that it's really secure. So I think that's an issue. And so some of my clients have opted not to lease the space, which means that therefore they have to be even more conscious of what they really are ordering and are they ordering the right thing at the right time. And again, if you lose your institutional wisdom and and talent, the the new people may not know what to order and how to order uh, in a way that's beneficial to the business. And so it's, it's, it's a daily, you know, recalibration and adjustment and very hard when you have personnel shortages. And uh, are are they having to communicate to their clients to their customers and disappoint them by saying things like you know our construction lead times are now instead of 20 weeks it's 40 weeks or uh, the price we quoted last month is now not valid is, is that kind of thing happening in the construction industry well what's really happening is the lead times certainly are moving and changing and some of it is not because of 
of my clients, but in construction, you have many partners who are doing different pieces of the work. And sometimes the, the people I work with, they can't get in to do their part until some other you know, groups have done their part first. And if those groups are behind, it pushes the schedule. So it's not always the client's fault. It's something that could be going on at the GC level, the general contractor, and with all the other players that are involved in construction. And here's what I could say about that. It's hard because if you miss dates, the contracts are written now in a more, I would say, difficult way for the for the smaller player. Back in the day, there was a bit more flexibility and collaboration. Now, if one of my clients is running late, because even if it's not their fault, there are clauses in there such that they have to pay damages, you know, liquidated damages and all this sort of thing. And that's a real, real issue. And these these companies, you know, in certain areas of construction have slim margins. They can't afford to pay those liquidated damages. And so it becomes quite a dance to figure out how do they get all this done and with less people. And they often are having to work seven days a week and long hours in order to make it happen. So that part's hard. Now you had a part two to your question. What was the part two? Uh, price inflation, having to, having to renegotiate the prices. Well, actually, a lot of my clients, it, they don't necessarily, they don't get to renegotiate the prices once the contract's out, unless the client that they're working for does something that causes the price to change. And if that doesn't happen, even if they're running late on their own, and even if they incur extra costs, they cannot charge it back to the client. 93.9, Dublin South FM. So I imagine then we're going to see, and I've, I've experienced this, I'm in the middle of it actually at the moment, um, the negotiations for contracts of supply, whether for, say, automated uh, equipment for warehouse operations or for the building itself, are becoming then a bit more fraught and a bit more um, contentious and therefore taking longer. I'm in a situation at the moment where the uh, supplier is saying, listen, we need to get the contract signed off. So we need to get the legal people working on this because otherwise we can't hold the prices and we can't uh, confirm the prices until the contract signed. Um, and that's becoming a problem. So the contractors wanting to take longer because they want to make sure they're not going to get caught out. And at the same time, the prices are rising. And if they don't get the contract done, the price is, is going to be a different price. So we have we have all of that going on at the moment. So you know, let, me, let me add one thing in on that, um, Patrick, the contentious part. That's definitely happening. I'm definitely seeing that in the past where, you know, customer and client might have been more collaborative. It almost seems like some people are taking advantage of this current climate to kind of stick it to the ones who have been their partners in the past, which is quite unfortunate. And, you know, so it, it becomes a harder, a harder yeah, way the, to work. The, the rancor and the resentment for past slights is coming out, huh? <laughs> well, I'm not even sure that's true. I just think that, you know, some people, because I have clients, for example, have excellent reputation in the business. They have worked well with clients in the past. It's not really about having, you know, poor service, poor performance, or even poor relationships. It's just, a, oh, it's almost like what we've discussed before about, let's say, you know, those companies that ship containers or whatever, or store containers or whatever at the ports, they can charge more. So they do. It's yeah. almost more like taking advantage in that sense. Well, I do now. Maybe I'll, I'll go back around uh, uh, with you and maybe start with Karen um, this time. 
In terms of what uh, people are, are doing about some of the issues that you uh, highlighted, so what kind of developments are you seeing that, that they're putting in place to adapt, to overcome, or even to seek advantage in some of the challenges that they're facing? Well, let me say what I recommend that they do. Okay. <laughs> Whether they do it or not, it's another thing. Yeah. yeah. Some are stepping into that faster than other people are. I think it's important when you're in a, a, a personnel shortage situation to do several things. One, you've got to relentlessly focus on developing your people, even if you feel like you don't have time, because you've got to build a capacity within the organization for those who are in there to do what they can do, and sometimes to also operate a bit more in in a redundancy area, maybe something that's not their primary task, but maybe it's a secondary task or you have more than one you know, person or persons or groups of people doing something. So that's important, which also relates to another function feature, which I would say pushing decision-making down. In other words, if the people aren't prepared, they can't make the proper decisions, but you need them making the decisions because everything cannot come from the top. Everything can't come from the bosses. The people on the down on the ground level have got to be able to operate and decide day to day. That has to be a priority if you want to have success going forward. And then the third thing I would add would be this. Be willing to bring in even short-term help in areas that are more administrative or support in nature, not necessarily in the skilled labor, because that, that's a harder thing to do in the skilled labor area, which is what a lot of my clients are dealing with, the lead time to train somebody up to get them. So you've, you've, you want people who are going to stay for a while. But, you know, some companies running lean on even something as simple as administrative support. They might need to crank that up because people do not have time to do a whole lot of unnecessary paperwork that somebody else could do for them. And this could even be done remotely. Some functions in HR could be you know, outsourced and done remotely. And so I think they need to think more about how to bring in resources to, to support the operation that way. Interesting. Yeah, that devolution of, uh, of decision-making, I think, is really important and very um culturally difficult for some companies and some regions, uh, some parts of the world, if you like, are, are more uh, suited to that than others, it, it, it seems, and some companies also within within those parts of the world. And it's yeah. interesting that redundancy is kind of uh, an element of resilience. So people like talking about resilience, but they don't particularly like talking about having the redundancy to provide the, the, the resilience, particularly the accountants don't like talking about redundancy uh, because it means <laughs> it means capital investment in something or money tied up in something that they think could be, could be used more productively. So likewise for you, Lisa, what are you, what are you seeing in terms of remedies to some of these challenges that, that people are facing? Well, I definitely would say I agree with Karen, first of all, because uh, clients are, are looking at you know how they can best support their people because they have so few of them. So I definitely would agree with everything that Karen said, including they need to bring in additional support for their people. Uh, in addition to that, they're looking at reshoring. So they're definitely bringing production uh, back to where, you could say back home, but it's really not that, it's closer to their customers. So reshoring, nearshoring, whatever you want to call it, uh, in the U.S., they're bringing production back to the U.S. and they're bringing it to Mexico and Latin America. Like uh, my clients that are in Europe, Patrick, I don't know if you're seeing the same, but they're bringing them closer to uh, 
to where their customers are in Europe. Um, so basically, reshoring is definitely on the rise because they have realized they need to take better control over their supply chain because they cannot they cannot control their future currently. Uh, and then, in addition to reshoring, they're also looking at um, implementing uh, sales and operations planning, or some also called sales inventory operations planning. That's really um, been proven effective to being able to get a better handle on what's happening in the future. So you're predicting your customer demand and then figuring out how you can best, um, you know, what, what types of um, manufacturing capabilities do you need? What people do you need? How do you get those pieces in place ahead of time so you can be successful and uh, in delivering your, what your customers need, but in a profitable way with the least amount of inventory tied up unnecessarily. So uh, PSYOP is another piece. And then uh, the last thing I would say is technology. So automation and technology, they, they need fewer people if they can uh, automate tasks. And um, uh, it's, it's, they still need people. They're, you know, there's still a shortage of people, but they need fewer uh, people who can do redundant tasks if they can automate it. And unfortunately, they still need several high skilled people and they're very hard to find. But nevertheless, they are still looking at technology because it's not just about automating. It's also about how do you deliver what the customer needs? Um, same thing that you're seeing in distribution, Patrick. Uh, there's quite a bit of new um, options uh, from a technology standpoint uh, that will help to um, handle e-commerce, both in terms of taking orders and then, you know, how do you fulfill those orders? Uh, you know, there's there's uh, 3D uh, and additive, uh, additive manufacturing, 3D printing. So there's a lot of uh, pieces of technology that they're looking at in addition to um, just how do we upgrade to have a ERP system that supports their growth and allows them to, um, you know, find ways to be more profitable. So just simply upgrading their ERP system is another is another uh, uh, priority in terms of technology. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. Um, this automation equation is um, taking taking shape. So, for example, I'm involved in a, in a project where they're automating uh, a large part of their order picking, which is both uh, picking for high street stores and also picking for e-commerce uh, business to consumer. And um, there'll be an automated order picking system at the heart of the new uh, distribution center, which is run by a, a WCS a warehouse control system, which integrates with their WMS warehouse management system, which in turn integrates with their uh, ERP system, so they have that integration along the line, and they'll they'll probably end up investing something in the ballpark of four four and a half million dollars in the in the new solution, but their labor requirement will drop from about fifty five to twenty five. Uh, so that's 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 the payback, and that's the kind of thing. Um, that people are biting the bullet on that I'm beginning to see that they were reticent about in, in the past. And also another point is that these systems are never going to be as probably affordable as they are now because the prices are rising, right? So if you, if you, have, the, if you have the funds and you can get that investment uh, done now, probably better to, to go sooner rather than later. Um, and also the, the solutions providers 
have a bottleneck of demand as well, because lots of companies are thinking the same thing and making decisions to go automated. So therefore the suppliers of the, of the cranes and the shuttle systems and the conveyors and the robots and so on, uh, their order books are quite full. Um, so the, the lead times are beginning to go out, the prices are going up. So um, I'd be encouraging people if they're thinking about it to, to move uh, sooner rather than later. So, as always, my friends, uh, we're beaten by the by the clock. Uh, we have to bring <laughs> things to a to a close. So uh, it's been it's been a pleasure as as always, and uh, thank you very much to both of you. And I wish you continued uh, success personally and professionally. And hopefully, we'll be back here next month talking about some other aspects of supply chain and whatever's hot at that time. So thanks again. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. And uh, I think we'll have many, many topics to come. It's It's been very volatile lately in supply chain. Certainly has. So thanks also to our listeners for tuning in. And you can uh, find the Interlinks podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, Acast, and most other podcast platforms. And any comments or questions, just drop me a line on pdaily, P-D-A-L-Y, at Alba Logistics. That's A-L-B-A logistics.com. So thank you very much. And in the meantime, keep well and stay safe. Until next time.